0: All right, this uh, morning is week number two in our uh, sermon series of Advent. It's the second week of Advent, first week of December. Uh, We're calling our series, Begin with the End, because we are going to highlight Jesus' life, but starting from the end and going backwards, so that by the time we get to Christmas and we're celebrating his birth, we will have understood the significance of his life. Last week we looked at the resurrection, and we said the resurrection is this sign, it's like a billboard that draws your attention and invites you either to further investigation or a, a sign that people just decide not to go to. Uh, the, today's uh, sermon is going to be about Jesus' death, which at, on the first, on the surface, it seems a lot less remarkable, right? Like we talked about the resurrection, like no one's ever done that. You know, like that, that is supposed to be like, wait, what, you know? Death, that, that one we all know, <laughs> you know, like we're all going to do it. Everyone that's ever lived has done it, right? Like, this is a very common experience, and yet his death, I'd argue, is probably even more significant than the resurrection, but it comes as a package deal. We were debating, uh, I was debating with Kim a couple weeks ago, uh, you can't have any part of Jesus's life without the whole thing, because he was whole, <laughs> you know, um, but just, just imagine, so like look at this cross right here. You know, oh, can you guys even see it? Sun, like the sun's in my eyes with all these lights, right? All right, so like that is an ancient, absolutely gruesome execution device, right? And yet we've got it displayed in our church, not just us, but quite a few churches, right? Uh, Christians have almost adopted that as their, like, unofficial logo, right? You know, if you want to demonstrate, like, oh, no, I'm part of God, you put it on your clothing, right? You know, you put it on your bodies, you know, with a tattoo, you put it on your cars, all sorts of buildings, you know, jewelry, right, necklace, a bracelet. Like, the cross is, like, the Christian's unofficial logo, right? Maybe official logo. You know, that, that's, like, the, the symbol, right? You put it on a flag, and that means Christian. How did an ancient execution device or tool become such a common Item that we even wear as fashion, right? Well, something happened, right? Something significantly ha- significant happened to change what that cross means. That's Jesus's death. There's so much that happened, and we're gonna read about that uh, today. So, if you want, you know, I, I talked a lot about the resurrection being an, an evangelistic tool, where you can say, "Well, what do you think about the resurrection?" Uh, you should ask me. I asked uh, two people that this week. Um, that we're not christians it went about as you'd expect you know i had to had to back out of the conversation like oh you don't want to ask my christian friends that man it really sets them off you know because they all just kind of like but it's meant to be a sign that you put in front of them jesus's death i don't know how 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 you'd start with that i don't know you asked someone about the cross but we needed to understand why is the cross significant Right? What does it mean to us? So, I hope after studying it this morning, we'll have a better understanding of the cross of Jesus' death, but also a better understanding of who God is, so that our faith might be shaped, might be molded, might be changed because of his death. Um, we're going to read a lot of little passages, not any big ones, uh, but make notes on all of these. If there's ones that you want to go back to, read the context, write them down. There's a gold mine that we're talking about the death of Jesus is maybe one of the most written about subjects. I mean, you could probably argue the whole Bible is kind of leading to that point or coming from that point. Uh, but let's pray, and let's ask that God would speak to us this morning, that our hearts would be open. Lord, we thank you so much for your death. Um, really, it's, it's what was accomplished on the cross that, that unifies us, that brings us here this morning. I pray that our hearts would be open and that you'd be speaking to us. Um, and may you highlight the parts of your word that you want us to dig in further this week. We love you. We want to know you more. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so when someone asks you, why did Jesus die? What was the purpose of his death? To me, there, there's one low-hanging fruit answer that I, I got growing up in the church. If you came as, as a believer, you know, later in your life, it's probably one of the first things you learn, right? Like, why did Jesus die? Jesus died for my sins, right? Like, that's my first slide, but I'm not ready for it. All right, click, yes, Jesus died for our sins. This is a a great summary of what the Bible says about Jesus' death. Here's one verse of many verses that I could have picked from. Uh, 1 Peter 2.24 summarizes this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Great summary, and again, uh, this isn't the only place in the Bible that says it, but when Jesus hung on the cross, we believe that he took our sins on him, and so when he died, our sins died with him. When he rose, we rose, and we now live a new life, a righteous life, a perfect life in Christ because Jesus died for our sins. Uh, But there's several different ways. Uh, That's great knowledge. There's different ways the Bible talks about it in order for us to feel it or to see different perspectives. Uh, For example, in Colossians, here's Paul. Colossians 2, he says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So here Paul pulls up a metaphor about being in debt, right? You know, it's, it's like God uh, requires, or we owe God righteousness, right? Good behavior, like being in line with his will. And ah, we don't always do it, right? And so there's this gap, right? There's this debt. I owe him, you know, because of my sins. My sins are the debt. You know, I haven't lived righteously. And so Jesus on the cross, you can understand him dying for our sins as a way of, I'm paying that debt, right? You, you can't cover that gap. You don't have to cover that gap. I'll pay that for you, and now you're free from debt, right? And so this one, especially with our nation, that is strapped with credit card debt, this one probably resonates with us, right? You know, it's like when you're living in debt, you're a, a slave to that debt, you know, and you're constantly trying to get better. Well, Jesus says on the cross, no more debt between you and God, you're good. Uh, he uses a completely different metaphor one chapter before. Uh, just to let you know there's not like one right way of understanding Jesus died for my sins. That's, that's what I'm trying to show you guys. It's not this is what it is. The Bible talks about it in many different ways. So let's have a broad sense. Colossians 1, 19 through 20, another great passage. These are all great passages. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, right? So here he's taking a different perspective. Now, Jesus dying for our sins is, is Jesus as a role of, a, of mediator, right? So he's like the, the marriage counselor, right? Your marriage is on the rocks. You're, you're, you're fighting with each other. You can't communicate. And there's a person that works it together so that you guys can be back in relationship, right? Making peace, reconciling things to himself. So it's a broken relationship that is restored through Jesus' death on the cross when Jesus died for our sins, now, this is the one that I think I resonate the most with because it follows in line with how I share the gospel of who I say Jesus is in general, who God is, because I like sharing that kind of the meta narrative, right? Like what, what, what's happening in the world? God created a perfect world. He created us as human beings. We decided to go our own way, and now we've created evil, brokenness, suffering, pain in the world. God sees that and says, I don't want that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring everything back, and I'll make it new again. Right, And so it's that reconciliation piece. I I see that as the the heart of God's character. So when Jesus came, he was bringing things back together and proclaiming that things are in him going to be coming back together. And so now us in the church, we could be a part of this grand plan to restore all things. Uh, That's what I like sharing about that characteristic of God. But here's the problem, because I'm excited that God is remaking this world. He sees our pain. He sees our suffering. He sees it's not perfect. And he says, I will deal with it all. Every single thing that is evil will be eliminated, squished, demolished, destroyed, and there will only be pure things remaining. And I say, yes, let's go, right? And then on Monday, I look in the mirror, and I'm like, ooh, but I'm a little evil sometimes. Sometimes. You know, I'm not perfect. Like, I don't deserve to be in a perfect world, right? You know, and, and if we really start thinking about it, it's like that kid, right? You cheated on the test, and now that the 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 teacher's passing back the grades and she goes, Now I know some of you guys cheated on this test, and for those of you that did, I wrote on the back page, come see me afterwards, you all have failed. You know, and then she starts handing out the, <laughs> the test, and you're sitting there like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, like did did she catch me? What how did she know? Like, I didn't cheat that much. Like, maybe, maybe, like, what's her threshold, right? And so, like, before God, we're doing the same thing. We're like, okay, I know you want to eliminate evil, but like, not like me. I'm, not, I'm like mostly good. You know, it's like, I don't have, like, they're, they're those little parts are like, you can overlook that, right? And so, there's a little bit of what? Uh, consternation, you know, discomfort where you're like, well, I don't want you to be like perfectly just. You know, it's like, you gotta let some slide. But see, God is perfectly just, He knows if you cheated. And guess what? He will destroy all evil, including you and me and everyone, except, except Jesus died for our sins, right? So that reconciliation piece is the part that says, you know what, it, you can make it through to this perfect world that is being reconciled because Jesus has died for our sins. If Jesus doesn't die for our sins, then we're in God's crosshairs to be eliminated. I think, you know, we say Jesus died for our sins, I think sometimes we don't fully grasp what it means because we only see uh, maybe like one perspective of it, you know, or like one way that the Bible talks about uh, us being in our sins, not understanding the situation. Uh, for example, some, some biblical ways of thinking about us and our sins, uh, you view yourself as being kind of more lost, right? Like, or, like the indebtedness, uh, example, right? So it's like, how do you get in debt? Well, you spend more money than than you have, right? You you kind of make these short short term decisions that have long term consequences, and you kind of get yourself stuck in this hole that you can't get out of, right? And so we view ourselves in our sins similarly, right? Well, I've done some things, and now I'm over here, and I can't get back, right? Or like um, Isaiah 56, it's chapter we're gonna or 53. We're gonna be in there a lot, but 53 uh, verse six says that we're all like sheep that have gone astray. You know, like, we're all going our own way, you know, and so you imagine, like, a lamb, you know, you're like, oh, I'm not in a pasture anymore, I'm in a forest, you know, like, I'm not supposed to be where there's a bunch of trees, like, I don't know which way's out, you know, it's like, and so we're lost in our sins, you know, another common illustration, where you have, like, us on one cliff, God on another cliff, and there's this vast chasm between us, a canyon, that's our sin, right, and so a, a popular illustration is that We are lost, like like so far lost, we can't get our way back, right? It's impossible to find our way back to God, and that's the state of our sin. Uh, That's fully accurate, but there's one other wrinkle that the Bible talks about. See, it's not just that we're lost and we can't find our way back, but we're actually offensive to God. Like, we become His enemies. See, when when my family and I, when we went to Philadelphia, the museum I really wanted to check out was one that was uh, the Museum of the American Revolution, um, it's really cool. You know, it's, it's like a newer museum, and so it felt, I don't know, kind of fresh. Uh, but I loved reading about what life was like in the colonies before the revolution, right? And so, like, the colonists, you know, started forming kind of their own identity uh, before they had declared independence, you know, but they were kind of acting more independently, you know, and they just kind of wanted to do their own thing, and, uh, you know, they're still part of the, the king's kingdom, you know, and part of Great Britain, but... And more and more, they're just like, yeah, forget it, forget it. And so when Great Britain tries to pull them back in, you know, they, they kind of act out a little bit. You know, Boston Tea Party, like, no, get, like, we don't want to pay these taxes. We think this is unfair, you know? And, and so there's kind of this wrestling match as they go further and further away, right? And and, they, and it's hard to see a way back for them, right, for them to be full citizens of Great Britain. But then one thing happened. The, the British sent their troops to seize a stockpile of ammunition, uh, and then... The militia, local militia, fired on them. And then there's a skirmish. All of, all of a sudden, the colonists weren't just this rebellious child that had gone far away, and I don't know how they're coming back. They became enemies. Great Britain mustered their army, sent them across the ocean to eliminate the colonists, to eliminate their independence, and take them back. That, that's the state our sin is. Our sin isn't just innocuous, you know, teenagers kind of doing their thing. Maybe they'll come back one day. No, our sin makes us enemies of God. God is on a mission to eliminate evil and bring everything back to goodness and perfection. Our sin sets us outside of that. We're in the crosshairs, right, of God, and he is going to eliminate us, except for the cross, right? That's the significance of the cross. That's why Jesus died for our sins, Means no longer are we enemies of God. We're reconciled. There's been peace made, right? There's a broker that says, all right, colonists, Great Britain, sit down at the table. Let's be friends. Right? That's Jesus. That's his role as a mediator. That's what it means when Jesus died for my sins. No longer are we enemies of God, but rather he can view us as his children that have come back. That's that's even just one aspect, and that's we could go in much further even on that angle. But I want to keep going. Because there's other aspects of what Jesus died and its purpose that it played. Second, Jesus died to fulfill prophecy. Now, last week we talked about the resurrection, fulfilled prophecy, and what what that does is it gives us greater confidence that God is faithful, that God is there, he is uh, active, that he he wants to listen, right? That that we can pray and we can know that he'll be there. Jesus' death does the same thing. Uh, Back to that Isaiah 53 Another good bookmark passage. Go read Isaiah 54 too. Not as, not as well known, but talks a lot about that reconciliation and this peace and life we have in, in Jesus. It's, this is written hundreds of years before Jesus is even born. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Uh, the very nature of Jesus' death was anticipated and prophesied all the way back in Isaiah. And then it comes true in Jesus. Uh, again, this is just one example. If you read all of Psalm 22, I, I'm not going to read it all, but it, it, it echoes and gives highlights of Jesus when he's hanging on the cross. It talks about the fact that he was beaten and he was mocked. It talks about his bones being exposed for everyone to look. It talks about people ridiculing him, like, if you're so close to God, why doesn't he just come and save you? It talks about him being thirsty. It talks about water pouring out of him, like when the sword entered his side. Uh, the, very, the very opening lines of Psalm 22 is the last words Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, there's this echo in Psalm 22 written, that's probably 1,000 years before Jesus is born, anticipating this death on the cross. Paul writes in Galatians that the very type of death that Jesus dies is necessary according to the scriptures. This is Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Uh, Paul is quoting Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 21-23, which says, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole or hung on a tree. Uh, Jesus was hung on a pole, a tree, a cross. This is the only curse in Deuteronomy that's not attached to bad behavior, to sinfulness. This is something that someone else does to you. This is the only curse that Jesus could take on himself. And Paul's making the point that he has taken on your curse. Look, he became a curse when he was completely innocent, and now he's paid for that curse, and now you do not have a curse anymore. Jesus had to be hung on a cross. He couldn't have just been executed or beheaded. Uh, It it continues. like When Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, this is Matthew chapter 5, uh, you don't fully understand what he means until his full life and death has been completed. Then you can look back and you say, whoa, oh, it's the whole story of the Old Testament. Because time and time again in the Old Testament, God provides a, a substitutionary sacrifice to provide life for his people, right? So you think even back to Abraham and Isaac. God gives Abraham a gift of a child in his old age and then he, then he tests him, right? And he says, well, sacrifice your son to me up on this mountain. And they go up, and Abraham's like, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense, but sure, I'll obey you. And then before he sacrifices his son, God provides a substitutionary sacrifice. There's a ram in the bush. Sacrifice this instead. And so they put it on the wood that they have brought up, and they sacrifice, and Isaac lives because of that. There's, there's a replacement, right? Uh, Passover. Passover. Right? The very first Passover in the book of Exodus, God's people, the Israelites, are not a nation yet. They're just a group of slaves living in Egypt. And God sends Moses in in powerful ways. He declares, these are my people. Let them go, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, no, I will not let them go. And there's these 10 plagues, these judgments on the people of Egypt and on Pharaoh himself. The very last one is that the firstborn son of every family, every household will die. But God tells his people, you can go through this process where you can take a lamb, and that can be the substitutionary sacrifice for them. And that if if you follow this Passover process, then that when the angel of death comes and the destruction comes, the judgment of God comes, it will pass over your house and go to the next one, because God gives this substitutionary sacrifice to provide life for His people. And then in Israel, ancient Israel, there's a whole sacrificial system in Leviticus, you know where. Uh, God will dwell with his people, but again, the people have evil in them, and so the sin requires them to be cursed, pushed away from God, destroyed, you know, outside of his presence. But God says, here, You can, you can sacrifice bulls, goats, lambs, doves, pigeons, you know, that you can use a substitutionary sacrifice of animals, bring it to the temple, set it on the altar, the priest there will offer it up to me, and that your sins will be on them, therefore I will see you as good and righteous, and you can dwell in my presence, I can dwell in your presence, because of the substitutionary sacrifice. And then you get all the way down to Jesus, and he's put on the cross on Passover weekend. (laughs) When they're celebrating the substitutionary sacrifice that God provides for life for His people, He gets up on the cross, which is the wood of the altar. He becomes the priest that is offering the gift to purify all people so that all people might have life. Hebrews talks about this, the whole book, <laughs> if you want to look at that, I don't know, chapter 4 through 10, if you want to read it all. Jesus follows the same pattern of this substitutionary sacrifice, where you can have life because the perfect lamb of God will be killed in your place, will take your curse, will take your sin, will die for your sins. That's the whole fulfillment of prophecy, but this is how God works. And that's where Jesus' death isn't something invented by, you know, followers of him that, oh no, he died, we got to make up a story that makes it look like he's still God. No, no, no. This has been the story, not just the story, the lived experience of God's people throughout thousands of years that of course, of course culminates in Jesus dying for our sins on the cross. That's who our God is. Okay, so Jesus died for our sins. I'm still going. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died to fulfill prophecy. Jesus died to take our suffering. Here's another key piece that I don't think I think about enough about Jesus' death. Uh, Again, back in Isaiah 53, one verse earlier. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. There's a key element of Jesus' death. That yes, God Himself knows our experience, right? Like Jesus was fully human. That's that's a key principle: fully God and fully man. Uh, he wasn't God that just had a shell of a body around him, and he you know he was walking and pretending and doing things. No, he was fully human. He knows your existence. He knows what we're going through. He knows suffering. He knows pain. He was born and he died, the whole thing, right? If he never died, right, let's say he just lived forever because he's God, right, and death can't touch him. How could he genuinely help walk us through death, right? Like, 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 we're all going to die, right? How, How can we trust that he will be able to carry us through and help us if he himself has not experienced it? Instead, he says, I will take on all of their suffering. I will feel and know everything, that is the human experience. All the bad parts, too, right? And, and I will, will live this way without sinning. You know, I'll be tempted in every way, it says, without sinning. Therefore, I can help you. Therefore, I know what you're going through. Whatever you're going through, you won't scare me. It doesn't matter what's happening in your past. It doesn't matter what the future looks like. I'm not afraid. I get it. I've been there. I hold it. And I'll walk with you. This is what it says in Hebrews. Had to go there a little bit. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. So that tells us who our God is. The next verse tells us, well, what does that get for us? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus suffered a a gruesome death on the cross, we know that whatever we have in front of us God has mercy and grace for us. We won't scare him. You know, we, we, can't, we can't have suffered so much, He said, like, ooh, that's a bad one. I don't know. You know, it's like, no, no, I got you. I got you. Yeah, that's bad, but I, I will help, right? And he will walk with us. We can have confidence that God will be with us because he willingly chose to take up our suffering. All that pain, all the suffering, everything that we have, Christ bore on the cross. So there you have it. There's your three-point sermon. If you uh, are ever asked by your friends, again, in an evangelistic context, give me a, a short sermon on what, what the purpose of Jesus' death is. Jesus died for our sins. He died to fulfill prophecy. He died to take our suffering. Uh, me as a pastor, I engage with this. I like this. This stays up here. This is thinking. You know, this is knowledge. Um, how do we get it here? <laughs> you know, like, uh, feel it. Jesus' is death, right? It's a weird thing to meditate on but it should, I mean, this should shape our whole Christian life, right? Like Jesus's death should be a regular part of a Christian life. What do you mean? How how does it, how do we, let's sit there with it. A couple things will happen as we let this marinate inside of us. One it's going to teach us gratitude. Like a a Christian has to recognize nothing that I have, I've achieved, right? It, It is because Jesus died for my sins, something that happened outside of me, that I have life, that everything now becomes bonus, and a, and a thank you to God, right? It's a blessing from a good gift from God, right? So a Christian should be full of gratitude, Thanksgiving every day of the year, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because of God's goodness. Also it should teach a Christian humility, right? You didn't do it, <laughs> right? You're not good enough. No, it's, it's Christ, Christ's death right? Christ's actions that are good enough, right? You, you are actually the enemy of God, right? And he brought you. So a, a Christian meditating on these things should be humble, right? Not prideful, should, should, should be willing to accept mistakes and be corrected, you know, and, and want to, to be uh, guided as they go forward. These are good things. You guys know this stuff. One thing, I think that's that's like a ditch on the side, right, like that you're driving on the road like, oh, careful, don't drive so far over or else you'll fall in, is this, this feeling, where you say, I feel bad that Jesus died for me. Like, I'm like, like, I still mess up. Like, like maybe I don't fully understand Jesus' death, otherwise I'd, I'd be better, right? You look in the, like, we praise God on Sunday and then on Monday you look in the mirror, you mess up, Right? You lose your temper. You, you put a hole in a wall or something like that, and, and it's like, oh, God, I am so sorry. I, I'm, so, I'm, I'm terrible, right? And there's that little voice in the back of your head that says, I don't know why God even, like, wasted his time on you, right? Like, why, why did God die for you, though, right? You're not worthy, right? Like, what about those feelings, right? You're so overwhelmed at the cost of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, and you're like, sorry I did that to you, you know, like, ah. I feel bad, right? Like, what, what about that? You're so overwhelmed with your own deeds. I cannot stop disobeying you. Why do I keep doing my own thing? Oh, God. ah, oh, I don't deserve it. That's self-loathing, right? Is there any place for that? In a Christian that meditates on it? Not at all. That comes from a place of not fully understanding the cross and not fully understanding God. When Jesus hung on the cross, God's... Full wrath was spent on him, right? Like, like he has us in his crosshairs. We're his enemy. He lets out all his ammunition on Jesus on the cross, right? Just imagine the, the Revolutionary War, you know, the Great Britain's bullets and, and you know, the United States or the colonies' bullets, you know, like, like they're spent all at one target and now there's none left. They can't, they can't shoot anymore. Like, there's, there's nothing left. God's full wrath is satisfied in Jesus on the cross, but also this, our full rebellion is spent on the cross, right? You know, like when you, when you have someone that just accepts Christ, you know, and they, they, they're baptized, they, they, pray, they pray, they say, Lord, forgive me, I want to be in, I accept your life, you died on the cross, I believe, right? One of the first questions is, well, what happens if I, if I keep doing bad things, do I have to do this all over again? Right? Do I have to pray again? And, Lord, I believe, I accept your sacrifice. Thank you for dying for me. Can I get baptized again? No, you don't. Why? Because Jesus died for all of your sins, for all of everyone's sins, for all time, not just up to this point. And then we got to do it again. And we got to, you know, we, we already understand that Jesus died for sins in the future. He can die for, you know, 100 more years in the future or whatever, you know, like the life that you have left. The whole rebellion that we have, against God is spent on Jesus. Even the rebellion that's still to come, even what we're gonna do this afternoon, what we're gonna mess up earlier or later this week, Jesus paid for that as well. And he knew all of that going in. He knew everything that you were going to do. Look, from before the beginning of time, he knew everything. And he still engages in this process of providing a sacrificial, substitutionary atonement for every one of his children. Why? Why? Because you're worth it. Because he says, you're worth it. Look, again, I got to illustrate. I got to illustrate because we don't get this. We don't get this. Imagine you grow up in a house where your parents have a super high standard. You're a child, right? You, you, you bring home your report card. There's a couple Bs on it. And they say, uh, well, no electronics for you. You can't play out with anyone. Like, clearly your priorities are wrong. You need to be studying. We've got to get those to be A's. Okay, yeah, sorry, right? You know, you, they, they go into your room and there's, there's clothes all over the place. Well, what is this? You know, we have to keep this ordered and tidy. You cannot come out of this room. No food for you until you clean your room, right? And I go, oh, sorry, 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 right? You know, and then, then you're at dinner, right? And you accidentally spill your milk. Don't mess up my house. I spent time cleaning this. It's perfect. Now get a rag and go to bed early, you know? And you're, okay, ah, you know, and it's, it's like you want to do what's right. What would it feel like to grow up in the house? Anxious? Hey, no, 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 you can, I don't, I'm not talking about anyone, just me. <laughs> right, like, like, you want to do good for your parents. And, and you, you would probably be successful, right? Like, you probably would get good grades. You'd live in a clean house. You'd be polite. You'd say the right things, right? You wouldn't put a foot wrong too often. And if you did, you'd, uh, you'd look over your shoulder, right? It's anxious. You're walking on eggshells, right? You need your parents to approve you. Because you're not sure they actually love you unless you, you meet their standards. You're perfect for them, right? I think that's some of our relationships with God, right? You know he's perfect, like impossibly perfect. I'm never going to be perfect for you, God, but you know that he, well, you got to do, I'm oh, sorry, God, sorry, uh, right? You're walking on eggshells. You're hiding, right? Like, I don't want him to find out that, I'm like, like, did he know, right? That's because we think that Jesus's death was a punishment. We think that God was saying, you all deserve to die, but instead, here, I'm going to punish my son. Ha! And it's punishment, right? And so we feel this guilt. Jesus did not die as a punishment. It was not an act of punishment. Let's go back to that famous verse that Camille introduced, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, look, this does not say, for God was so fed up with the world that he gave his one and only son, right? Like, because that, that fits. That fits in my logic, right? Like, God's sitting there in heaven, like, you've got to be kidding. These humans are terrible. They are messing up my plan, right? Like, I'm, I'm moving things toward a perfect future. Like, I, Jesus, can you just go down there and, and I'll punish you. I, you, die for their sins so that we can move on. Like, like this is a problem, right? Like he's annoyed, like he's fed up with like how bad we are, like we're just not there. Like that makes sense to us because we operate like that. Right? Like, ah, ah, like let me just, yeah, get, get rid of it, ah, there we go. You know, let me do it, right? But it doesn't say that, it says for God so loved the world. Right, Jesus' death isn't an act of punishment, it's an act of love, that changes everything, right? Let's say you, live in a, you grew up in a household that has very high standards, right? You take your report card to your parents, you have a couple B's on it, and the parent says, oh, well tell me about it, you know? Do you understand everything? Let's sit down, let's talk, let's talk about it, let's talk about it. Are you engaged, right? And they start problem solving, they start figuring out, well I want you to learn this stuff, I want you to master this stuff, he let me help you, right? Or you know, they go into your room, and it's a mess, and they start picking up the clothes, folding it, and putting it in, right? And you're like, oh, okay. You know, and you kind of start helping them. They never even said anything was wrong. You spill the milk, and they grab a towel. they it's like, here, come come, help me, or whatever. And all the while, I'm making eye contact with you, smiling, right? What does that feel like? It's totally different, right? If this happens enough over and over and over, you are going to think that my parents love me regardless of what I do, right? Like, they, there's no conditions attached to this. Like, I keep messing up, and they just love me, right? Like, there's no punishment even involved. They just want to help me. They, they want me to hit these, these same high standards, but, they, but I'm accepted as I am. There's no anxiety. There's no fear. There's no fear of punishment. Like, that's our God. He loves us, and that's what he wants for us. Yes, there's this impossibly high standard, but he'll help us. In fact, he sent his son so that we don't even have to experience the consequences, right? We don't even have to bear the curse or experience the death because God loves us. So Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died to fulfill prophecy. Jesus died to take our suffering. All that's good. What does it mean for you? right Like, what, what do you need to feel about Jesus's death do you understand Jesus's death was not a punishment but it was an act of love so that we might be reconciled with him we might be reconnected with him the next time that you mess up that you feel guilty before God that you again are faced with your own failures and inadequacies don't respond in the way it says I'm sorry God I'll do better next time I promise right like help me help me be better just say this simple prayer, Lord, I made a mess, help me clean it up. You can have confidence because of Jesus' death that he will. Here, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your death. (laughs) We thank you for you, for your presence, for your plan, for your character, everything, and all of it culminating in your death. We recognize that it's at that point that our sins are no longer held against us, we're no longer enemies, hostile towards you, but we're your children that you love unconditionally. You see us with your son's righteousness, you're proud of us, you wanna be with us, we thank you for that and we recognize it's not because we were good enough, but because Jesus died on the cross because you loved us. We accept it, (laughs) we wanna be in your arms, we don't even understand it, Lord, but we thank you for it. We want your presence. We love you. Show us how we can live within this. Speak to us, teach us how we're supposed to hold this and feel this, Lord. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Today is the day that we celebrate communion. You know, communion is a time we set aside once a month at the first Sunday of the month really to reflect on Jesus' death, uh, what it means, how it brings us closer to God, uh, so we're going to do that today, but we're going to leave it more as an open space where you just listen to God. Ask him, what do, you want, what do you want me to feel about your death, right? So maybe it's one of those points that I made, right? Maybe it's something else, something else that like popped up in one of those verses. Or maybe God wants to give you a special message. I ask that you'd open your heart during this time and just say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me on your death? What do you want me to hold? Hold down, not no, not no, know, not know, hold, right? Like, like, how do you want this to shape me? And just Listen. Just listen, we're going to do uh, communion like we normally do, uh, where we'll have a line down the middle, and you'll take the elements, and then you'll go back along the edges back to your seats. And then when everyone's taken some, I'll come back up, and then we'll all take it together. So let's take communion together. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, after he gave thanks, he took the bread and broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way after dinner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant which is in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And in doing so, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for you we thank you for your gifts for your life for your death help us hold your death well help us know how we're supposed to respond and think about your death speak truth to us reveal who you are to us don't allow us to create false understandings false pictures of who you are God may you and your truth and your love your goodness, your justice, your holiness, your righteousness, all of it, God. May it be magnified in us. May we know who you are, not just with our minds, but with our hearts as well. Shape us, Lord, with your death. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. All right, we still want to take time to do our discussion groups uh, to talk more about this, and uh, the questions that I have today are definitely ones that. Uh, will last a while so uh, talk about these remember them uh, lunchtime community groups uh, with friends Uh, this will help us further understand uh, what it is uh, of jesus's death all right so which aspect of jesus's death resonates with you the most Uh, how do you think god wants us to feel about our sin and then lastly if our sins are already paid for why should we try to please god Take your pick, I'll give you maybe five minutes, then I'll come up and I'll dismiss you all.